Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Coming back at you with another episode of this podcast. Within uh, two in a month, I can't believe I'm able to do this, but uh, I've got my reasons for that. I'm going to get into that later on in this episode. I, uh, I actually have a lot to talk about, so I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get right into it right now. And as you guys can imagine, there's only really one story that I can start this episode with, and it has nothing to do with judo directly, the freaking coronavirus. So look, at the end of uh, my last episode in, in my, uh, my, my after-party segment, which I will have in, in this episode as well, I talked about how I thought the coronavirus story was a bit of an overreaction by the media. I still think it's an overreaction, but that doesn't mean that we can't all exercise a little bit of caution in how we interact with each other. Many organizations are taking this very seriously. The National Basketball Association has canceled their, uh, has, has put their season on hold until further notice, and I believe the National Hockey League is going to follow suit as well. And up in New York, in, in New Rochelle, they've sent the National Guard. I mean, I mean, talk about a uh, really taking extreme measures to try and contain a, a virus that, you know, I don't, not quite sure how the National Guard can help contain a virus, but well, apparently there's a lot of people smarter than me, so they'll figure it out. As for me, well, I was really excited to go to the New York Open, but that's been canceled. And I'm grateful for the uh, tournament director, John Walla, to reach out to me directly to, to let me know that instead of uh, me trying to uh, finding out from, uh, you know, just from some news article on, on Judo Inside or whatever the case may be. Ac- actually, I found out about two or three hours before John wrote me, um, I've, I've got some insiders and that person knows who that person is, and I appreciate the heads up. Now, I have gone ahead and canceled my trip to New York City. I I was going to go even though the New York Open was canceled, but given really the state of the world and after the president's speech, I just, it's probably not in my best interest to travel. I'm not really afraid of catching the coronavirus. I really am not. But I'm thinking to myself, well, what if I did end up getting it and then ended up giving it to my aunt and then she died? I mean, could I live with that knowing that I contracted a virus and that eventually killed a, uh, a family member that I love? Uh, no, I, I I wouldn't be okay with that. And um, so I've decided to maybe not cancel but postpone my trip to another date. I know there's a Steve Scott seminar happening in April. I'm not sure if I can make that because, well, at the moment, I'm not sure if if uh, getting my tickets for a refund um, or at least an airline credit is a one shot deal. I mean, what if I what if I uh, set up a trip to go in April and we're still in lockdown? Do I still lose my money? I, I, I don't know. So for the time being, I'm going to look to get an airline credit. And if I can't get a credit, I'm going to push my trip out to sometime in May or June uh, because New York City in the summertime is awesome. You know, something that just dawned on me as I'm talking about this, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that I went when I made my trip to New York City, I might have had coronavirus. I was sick for two months. I ended up going to the emergency room and I got sick when I was in New York City. I mean, who knows? 
And look, I know people out there are going to talk about transmission rates and stuff, saying that the coronavirus transmission rate is 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 significantly higher than than the regular flu. And look, there's going to be people debating both sides of this, whether you know, you know, whether I, you know, I may think that a lot of people are overreacting to this, and there's a lot of people out there that think that we're not we're not reacting enough. I don't know. I, it, I'm not here to debate that. And I'm certainly not intending to use the word overreaction as an insult. So please, if you are somebody that is extremely concerned about this, I'm not trying to insult you. We should all be reacting. But to me, by overreacting, I'm talking about those people that are buying six months worth of toilet paper at one time and, and overbuying on certain things. And I, and I think that causes a problem in the, in the supply chain. It certainly puts a strain on it. So... That's what I really really mean by overreacting. But we should be reacting. I know many other countries out there are dealing with a far more serious issue than than what I you know what we are dealing with in the United States. I know Italy has uh, has basically quarantined the entire country. Uh, apparently, Germany has. Uh, I read something crazy like either they think seventy percent of the people are going to get it, or seventy percent of the people already have it. Now, getting back to judo and the New York Open. Uh, it's my understanding that Israel and Poland were two of the teams that decided to pull out of the event, which kind of caused the event to get canceled because that was those were, I think other teams followed suit. And the thing with Israel is that they, it's my understanding that anybody that does any international travel, once they get back to the country, once they get back to Israel, they are under a mandatory two-week quarantine. So, I believe the coaches and the athletes did not want to deal with that. And that's certainly understandable. I mean, you know, lucky me, I, I'm able to do my, my, my work from home. So if I if I happen to get sick and I got, you know, if I had to quarantine myself for two weeks or a month, I'd be like, hey, bring it on. And look, I'm, I'm not being serious. I hope you guys know that. So New York Open canceled. The Rabat Grand Prix canceled. The Ekaterinburg Grand Slam canceled in fact all international judo federation events from from here out to the end of april are canceled and at this point i gotta believe the uh the olympics in tokyo are at risk of being held because look judo is not the only sport that has people that are trying to qualify for the olympic games i mean all all of these sports i have to believe they have a qualification process now, with regards to the International Judo Federation, uh, they have declared that they are going to extend the Olympic qualification period. So I've got a, an article uh, published by the IGF stating that during an extraordinary meeting of the International Judo Federation Executive Committee organized today, which was March 10th, about the corona uh, um, about the consequences of the COVID-19 crisis, the following three decisions have been unanimous, unanimously voted to guarantee the safety of the whole judo family as well as the fairness of the sport. The Olympic qualification period will be extended until the 30th of June 2020. The Continental Championships planned in the period until the 30th of April 2020 will be postponed. All cadet and junior events are also canceled until April 30th 2020. And I'm, I'm very glad that the IJF uh, responded to this very quickly because as soon as they canceled Rabat, and the Katnerberg Grand Slam, a decision had to be made because you effectively took away um, 
the ability for many of these athletes that are on the bubble to try and make an Olympic roster. Now, for those of you who are outside of the United States that are in other countries that may not understand what I mean by on the bubble, I'm talking about the, the people that may be ranked anywhere between, I don't know, 18 and 20 or, or 19th and 25th in their divisions where they needed a few more wins in order to get themselves into the top 18. So they're right on the outside looking in. That's what I, that's what I meant by uh, athletes that are on the bubble there. And speaking of outside of the United States, I'd like to uh, send a special shout out to my new listener out in Austria. Thank you very much for writing. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the IJF made the right decision with the Rabat Grand Prix, which at the time I thought that was an overreaction. But, you know, looking at it now, given that you have so many athletes coming in from different countries and it's not the athletes themselves that are at risk of, of really being harmed by this. It's it's the concern that these athletes will, I don't know, go go home after they compete. They go home. They visit gram-gram, you know, grandmama, whatever the case may be. And they give her a hug and whoops, she's got coronavirus. Now she ends up dying while the athlete makes a full recovery. So that's kind of, I mean, I can understand from the IJS point of view, what they're trying to do there. They're, they're trying to do their part in preventing the spread of this thing. And that's unfortunate for all of those athletes that spent thousands, uh, whether that be dollars or euros or francs or shekels, whatever the case may be, that they planned on, you know, they, they made reservations, they paid for things in advance, and now they're they're out of money. And I think that's really unfortunate. So anyway, I think that's all I really have on this. All the tournaments have been canceled. I don't know what um, what domestic tournaments are going to be taking place in the United States. I don't know if the U.S. Open is at risk of uh, being canceled at this point. Probably not, but um, it wouldn't shock me if they made that decision over the next month. There's one more thing I wanted to talk about coronavirus related that... I just want to bring attention to I it's my understanding based on various posts and and tweets and stuff that I've read online and such there are a lot of students out there that um, are planning on not paying their monthly dues for the month that the club that they belong to is closed I would encourage you to not do that and look, I tend to see this more happening with students of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than Judo. And, because in a, and I understand that, that many, many Jiu-Jitsu uh, business owners, that, look, they're all small businesses, relatively speaking, except for a few that are out there, both Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They're all small businesses. So there's a lot of students out there that only look at your club membership as a business transaction and nothing more than that. I don't... I don't really agree with that point of view, and I feel it's important to su- to support your your sensei or your coaches or whatever or who, you know whomever the case uh, may be in that situation. Your Brazilian Jiu Jitsu instructor. It's important to continue to support these people um, who've given a lot of. Yes, it's a business, sure, but they also are providing a great service to all of us. And it's my it's my impression that when especially when it comes to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and their high rates for club membership that 
I'll just come out and say it. There's a lot of younger people and, and a lot of people that look at those rates and they, they, it, they're, they're almost insulted that they have to pay it in order to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It, it becomes a almost a point of contention. And like, like for example, there's many times that that I've, that I've seen people say, well, I'm not cleaning the mats. I mean, that's I pay for a membership. Aren't, aren't they supposed to clean the mats and such? I Maybe I just have a, a different mentality when it comes to that kind of thing. I mean, sure, I, put, I pay club dues, but I also see the club as my second home, and I wouldn't... I wouldn't dream of not cleaning the mats or helping with that in that regard. But there's a lot of people out there, you know, they I think a lot of people are frustrated with the high prices of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. They may not come out right out and say it, but I think they are. And I think in times like this where there's a, a, a national emergency, I think there are too many people out there that are just saying, hey, you know, this is just a business transaction, so I'm not going to pay for the month. I I think you got to at least pay for the month. And yes, I completely understand and respect the fact that I'm 20 years older than the average uh, judo and jiu-jitsu student. So I'm in a different place in my life financially. But I mean, look, even for me, if, if this thing goes on where we're quarantining ourselves for three months plus, at that point, I would have to, you know, look to cancel my membership. But I mean, one month... I, I just I don't agree with that point of view and and I think I mean at the end of the day this is their means of putting food on the table and I think the overall attitudes have to be a little bit bigger than just sole self preservation at, at this point anyway I mean look these are exceptional times that we're living in right now I was just commenting to my wife the other day that I can't think of a story that has had far that has had this kind of global impact in such a short period of time in all the years that I've been living yet yeah, 9/11 uh, changed the world but but that that didn't change the world almost overnight i mean this is within a matter of a couple of weeks so many things have changed i mean in my lifetime apart from 9/11 uh, th- this is I, I i can't think of a bigger story than this and like I said, these are exceptional times, and I, I just don't think we should be pulling out of our memberships to a club, um, especially if this thing is only going to last a month. And look, for those of you that take offense to this, you know, please keep in mind, I don't mean everybody. I know there's many people out there that work hourly jobs, and their businesses are cutting back hours because of this thing, so you're not getting paid. And and for in your situation, you might be stuck between choosing, uh, am, am I going to eat tonight or am I going to pay my jujitsu dues? Well, look, in that case, you know, eat, cancel your dues. I, I get that. I'm just I'm talking about the people out there, and there's many of them out there that have the means to keep paying a monthly due to jujitsu and support that club, and they choose not to do it. You know, I'm not talking about the people that you know, that have to make the choice between a roof over your head and food on the table versus jujitsu. So anyway, I, I got to move on to other topics. So with that, I got a bit of sad news to report. Yukimitsu Kano, the grandson of Jigoro Kano, has passed away. 
the International Judo Federation put out an article stating, It is with deep sorrow that we inform you that Honorary President of the Kodokan Judo Institute and All Japan Judo Federation, Kano uh, Yukimitsu, has passed away on March 8, 2020 at a hospital in Tokyo due to pneumonia. He was 87 years old. Uh, Yukimitsu Kano was much more than his titles. He was the grandson of Jigoro Kano, the founder of Judo. Who does not know that name, Kano, especially in the Judo world? Without Master Jigoro Kano, the sport simply would not exist. In 1882, he created Judo when he was only 22 years old. 135 years later, Judo becoming a major Olympic sport and Paralympic sport and an educational tool for the youth of the world. While constantly evolving, it has remained committed to the values that Kano has defined. During the summer of 2017, the International Judo Federation had the privilege of meeting uh, Yukimitsu Kano. In that exclusive interview, he recalled memories of his grandfather and explained his own vision of Judo as Mr. Kano Yukimitsu has also played an important role in Judo in Japan as well as the rest of the world. Mr. Kano explained that when he said in front of his grandfather that he wanted to find a role model and become like that person later, the founder of Judo replied, You should not try to be like somebody else. You are who you are. This is a perfect illustration of how Judo can help build better citizens to grow a better society. Uh, Jigoro Kano was not only teaching the theory, he made sure all could understand the fundamentals and he wanted his students to put his teachings into practice in society. Let's see. The whole judo family and the IJF expressed expressed their deepest condolences to Mr. Condolences to Mr. Kano's family, relatives, and friends, to the Kodokan Institute, and to the All Japan Judo Federation. Only Mr. Kano's close relatives and Kodokan ex- employees will attend his funeral services. With uh, Akashi Kano, his eldest daughter, serving as the chief mourner. Later, a joint funeral will be held by the Kodokan and All Japan Judo Federation. Words of condolences should be addressed to the international, to the email address, intl at kodokan.org. And then the article goes on to show the profile of uh, Mr. Kano. He was the president of the Kodokan uh, between April of 1980 and March of 2009. Or maybe I'm misreading that. I thought he was the president for almost 30 years of the All Japan Judo Federation. It also says here, between September of 1980 and October of 1995, he was president of the Judo Union of Asia. In a, in, in, and in April 2009, he was the honorary president of the Kodokan and All Japan Judo Federation. So it seems like for 29 years, he was the actual president, and then he became an honorary president in April of 2009. So there you go. Rest in peace, uh, Mr. Kano. Uh, part of me wonders if... Uh, his daughter does judo or does does uh does Jigoro Kano have any descendants that currently do judo that, that'd be interesting to find out I I don't know so continuing on I want to talk about a story that uh that was shared to me via my twitter uh from a Mr. Hans Van Essen of judoinside.com so Hans had a write ooh, ooh, my voice cracked there so Hans had a write-up on uh on a German judoka by the name of Timo Cavellius. And this write-up was a reference to a, uh, a an interview done by Bento Magazine in Germany on judoka Timo Cavellius. 
And the headline of the article goes, there is no place for homophobia today, not even in professional sports. The rest of the headline goes, in an interview, the national team fighter explains why his coming out made him even stronger. Now, I thought this was very fascinating. I don't think too much about uh, LGBTQ issues when it comes to sports and, and judo in particular. So I, this one really caught my attention, well, mostly because Hans shared it to me. But this was just an uh, an aspect of sports that I really don't consider uh, very often, and, and not because I have I have any uh, biases against a group of people, because I don't. It's just well, you know, when I look at any athlete, their sexual orientation is the very very last thing on my mind. But it doesn't make the issue any less important. So I would like to share with you this article that I read. Starts off as follows. Timo Cavellius is 23 years old and is number 42 in the world uh, rankings in his weight class. And he competes in the under 73 kilo and under 81 kilo division. As a member of the German national team, he flies around the world for competitions and training camps. And this year he would like to get a place to move up uh, for the Olympic Games. Timo is an exceptional talent in judo, but also an exception when it comes to dealing with his sexuality as an athlete. Four years ago, he came out as gay, without any scandals or major problems. Why is the top sport still considered homophobic? Now, I I just want to be clear that this article is a translation from German, and I think, you know, the Google Translator does a very good job with, with the translation. But if I use sentence structures or figures of speech that that is not really common in American English, uh, this is why, because it's coming straight from a translation. So continuing on, Bento Magazine asks, Timo, before we met, I went through the internet. I found something about your sporting success, but almost nothing about your private life, let let alone you coming out. Why is that? Timo answers, for me, my sporting achievements are paramount. When the media reports about me, it's primarily about medals, successes, or setbacks. A well-known German tabloid actually wanted to make a big story about my sexuality, but because I can't tell a sad or shocking story about my coming out, they dropped the topic. Well, that's a shame. Bento Magazine asks, does that mean you had no problems with your coming out? Uh, Timo responds, I think I went through the same emotional process as other uh, homosexual boys of that age. When I realized at 13 that I was much more interested in other men than women, I didn't admit it to myself for a long time and thought that it would only be a phase. When I moved to the Haus der Athleten in Munich at the age of 15 to concentrate on sports, I had the opportunity to meet boys in the big city for the first time. From then on, it was clear to me that I was gay. I had my first relationship and started talking to friends and family about it. At the time, I, it, I actually accepted it as a normal part of me, and that's great. Why did you only come out in front of your teammates sometime later? Timo responds, In sports, the topic was too taboo for a long time. Not only because I had read horror stories about the coming outs of athletes in the media. In my team, we were all uh, pubescent boys who wanted to move, who wanted to prove their masculinity. Judo is also a very physical sport. After all, you throw each other uh, throughout the area and are incredibly close in ground combat, I was afraid that the others would no longer take me seriously. At some point, there were rumors from my teammates that I could be gay. I never traded with girls, and when a boy stayed with me, the others sometimes noticed. I remember this time as extremely hard because not only 
I had the pressure to graduate from high school and do my best in sports, but also this secret that I carried around with me. I noticed how my body became stiffer during training and my performances stagnated because I was tense all day. Bento Magazine asked, then why did you decide to come out? I had the kind of key experience when I first spoke to our sports psychologist about my sexuality. We were we actually work with the psychologist to develop rituals and learn techniques for relieving pressure in combat. When I told her about being gay, she didn't try to push me in any direction, but made it clear to me that my that the decision was up to me entirely. And it was true. I could decide for myself how to deal with this. The fear of coming out came from my side. I had to overcome it with friends and family. My quote-unquote public coming out with my teammates was more or less a short-circuit reaction. I simply made a Facebook post in which I cleaned up the rumors saying, Yes, I'm gay, but that doesn't change who I am as a person. Of course, I was scared about how my teammates would react, but apart from the classic, How's that going with you? questions, they were all totally cool with it. And, And that's wonderful. Bento Magazine asks, So then what happened next? Timo responds, I still remember that I always took a shower alone for the first few days after my coming out. Somehow I thought it would be uncomfortable for the other guys on my team, but they said they but they said on their own initiative that it makes no difference to them whether I am gay or not. In the end, sexuality in sports simply has no place. Bento, there are always queer athletes who campaign for LBGTQ rights or point out abuses in homophobic countries. How do you deal with your role as a queer athlete in a national team? Timo responds, When fighting abroad, my sexuality doesn't matter to me. It's about sport. I conform to the rules of the country. I wouldn't turn on a guy on the street in Russia or hang my sexuality on the big bell in Abu Dhabi. But I don't see it as my job to spread a certain message internationally. I wear the federal eagle on my suit and represent Germany in sport. My goal is to win the competitions. My opponents will then notice that I am completely normal. And the final question from Bento. Your sexual orientation doesn't seem to be a big issue for you anymore. Where does this self-confidence come from? Timo responds, Moving out at the age of 15, shining at tournaments when I was young, and also fighting my own personal battles with myself made me stronger. I am also a member of the Bavarian Police's top sports promotion. When I am not fighting or training, I am on duty, in uniform, and I am responsible. The fact that I have to prove myself again and again has made my coming out easier. If someone says something stupid to me today, I have no problem standing up for myself. I don't want to deny other gay boys their problems, but I still believe that many people are afraid of coming out themselves. The moment I took my own destiny, nothing could happen to me. My creed is very clear. There is no longer any room for homophobia today, not even in professional sports. And you know what? I just think this is a wonderful article to me because for one, I'm so used to news articles and interviews and such always fishing for some kind of an angle. And it's it's really, uh, really nice to see an article like this because there's no real motive other than interviewing a gay athlete about his experiences competing on the world tour or in his day-to-day life. And I, I thought the article or the, or the magazine did a great great job just asking questions, getting responses, and providing no opinion or spin or really an agenda. I mean, 
it's refreshing to see that because I, I tell you what, for those of you who are outside of the United States, it seems like seems like every article I read has some kind of agenda, whether it's to push a certain cause or to sway opinion or whatever the case may be. It's 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 finally refreshing for me to see something that's just straightforward. And speaking of straightforward, I I, I would love to be or, or I would love to see athletes as a whole and entertain well not so much entertainers anymore but certainly athletes male athletes be able to come out um admit that they're gay without any any repercussions you know and i think i read an article or or a, a statistic that 10% of the global population is are are are, are gay and I would venture to guess that that also applies to professional athletes at the highest levels as well. And there's many probably, you know, living in fear and living in, I don't know, depressed states, not being able to fully accept who they are or not being able to live the life that they ultimately want to live. And I thought uh, Hans's write-up on this story on judoinside.com was, was equally as interesting because he made a point that you know, well, I can't speak to the experience personally, but it seems it, 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 there's an appearance and there's a f- overall feeling that if you're a woman and you're a lesbian, that that is perfectly acceptable. So, for example, at least in the United States, there's probably a lot of uh, women in the WNBA, for example, uh, that are out as lesbian and nobody cares. But if an NFL athlete or an NBA athlete who was a superstar were to come out as as uh, homosexual, that would make front page news and, and 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 people would have really strong opinions one way or the other. I would fully support that athlete, but much like Timo, I wouldn't be out there retweeting every single story about the the you know about the athlete that came out or. Or have any further expectations of that, of that athlete uh, other than performing their job on the field of play to the highest level that they can. You know, it kind of reminds me of a story about America's first uh, female astronaut, Sally Ride. She was, uh, she was gay. And she didn't let the world know uh, about that until after she passed away. And in fact, it wasn't Sally that uh, uh, revealed that in her own obituary. It was her partner, her long-term partner. And, you know, I thought some of the reactions out there were wholly unfair. Coming from the the LGBTQ community saying that she should have put herself out there and, and, and be some kind of champion for gay rights. And I don't think it has to be that way. And I think the way Timo Cavellius is handling this as a public figure is the correct way. He's an athlete. He's not a quote-unquote gay athlete. He's just an athlete. And I think the way that he's handling this is very admirable. There's one last thing Judah-related that I wanted to cover on this episode, and that's an Android app that I have uh, been evaluating and I downloaded a, a few days ago. It's called the Judokai. Actually, I take that back. It's just called Judokai, not the Judokai. And this is by far one of the <laughs> finest Android applications for uh, for judo techniques that I have ever seen in my life. It's probably the best uh, specific for judo. I haven't seen them all, but 
but this is definitely one of the best and finest and and most well put together apps that I've ever seen. It's it's fantastic. And I know this this application is available on on iPhones and Android uh, operating systems. So it's an application that you can download it for free. And they show the entire uh, judo syllabus in this in this product. And the thing is, is that uh, and, and, and look uh, to be clear, nobody's asked me to to promote this thing. This is just one of those things that I feel like sharing with you guys. So I'm not getting any kickbacks or anything like that. They've got four sections for nage waza, katame waza, um, and the basics. And there's an about section as well, but. When you install the application, you you'll get a sampling of of each section of techniques. So if you want to see, you know which techniques they offer for Tewaza, they give you Iponse and Nagi for free. And by looking at that, you can take a look at the video and and it goes into exceptional detail. The lighting is fantastic. The studio that they're uh, recording in is just—it's just really well done with the with the black backdrop and the and the reddish mats and and the camera angles are excellent. Now, I don't know if the pay version offers audio, but currently what I have in the free version there is no audio, so you you have to be able to pay attention to the video. And like I've always said for all videos, I think I know these people who, who content creators are gonna get mad at me, but. I think videos are a bit overrated for beginners and novices. I, I think you, you, if you don't know what you're looking for, they're not very helpful. And the, and the key word there is they are not very helpful. They are helpful. Um, but I, do, I don't see, you know, for me, you know, it's worth it for me because I, I do know what I'm looking for specifically when I look at videos. So I think videos can be very helpful uh, for for somebody who who really knows what they're looking for. But for the beginner, I I don't think they're as helpful unless in the video did the level of instruction. So, for example, uh, you know, I think Steve Scott does a tremendous job with all of his instructional videos because they're each about 10 minutes long on a single technique. That's a lot of time to spend on a single technique. And that's typically... You know, when I was coming up through the ranks and, and before my coach passed away, we would spend, you know, he would spend about seven to ten minutes explaining a technique. And we would work that technique for about three to four weeks, just that one technique and and different variations and such. We didn't we didn't jump around from technique to technique on each class. We, we focus on specific things and fundamentals and concepts and things like that. And I, you know, so I think. The, the work that Steve Scott does is is great in that regard, especially for beginners. But but uh, for for something like this, this is an excellent video or, or or an excellent thing to use as a more as a reference, if you will. So with this application, Judokai, to to unlock all of the features, it's thirty two dollars and ninety nine cents. That's uh. That's U.S. dollars. I don't know how that translates to euros. You can download the application and see for that yourself or or francs or shekels. I don't know. Whatever whatever your currency rate is, I'm sure there's a a uh, it's it's going to cost the equivalent of uh, almost thirty three dollars. Why don't they just go thirty three dollars? Huh? Thirty two ninety nine. You know, in my bank accounts, I like <laughs> trying to. Uh, you know, spend money, especially when I'm going getting 
going to get gas, I try and only put in $20. I don't put in $19.99. I mean, that's absurd. Just just charge me $33. That's I don't I don't want $32.99. I mean, why do they do that? Are, are they appealing to the people that say, "Man, I ain't spending $33 on this, but man, if this was $32.99, I'm all over it." I don't I don't know why why businesses do that, but this one does, everything else out there does. I mean, getting fuel, what's nine-tenths of a cent? I, I don't pay nine-tenths of a, of, of a penny on anything. Hey, well, except for fuel, apparently. So, Speaking of which, have you guys seen, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the country in the United States, but this is the first time right now down the road I, I can get uh, fuel for under $2 a gallon. So that that's I haven't seen that price in, in, in a few number of years it's been a long time anyway judokai 32.99 on itunes or or apple or, or google play store or whatever the case may be you can also buy certain sections for a much cheaper price so if you just want to see the uh you know sutemi waza for example it's it's only a dollar 49 if you just want uh uh the section on tewaza or or shimewaza um well, Tewaz is like five ninety nine, Koshiwaz is three ninety nine, Ashiwaz is eight ninety nine, which makes sense because Ashiwaza has the most amount of techniques. Yoko Sutemi Waza is six dollars and forty nine cents. Osaikomi Waza is three ninety nine. Uh Shime Waza is four forty nine, and Kansetsu Waza is uh three ninety nine. And I think that's neat. I, I like that they break it down, or you could buy the whole thing for thirty two ninety nine. So anyway, go ahead and check it out. It's it's at least downloaded for free and, and see for yourself. I, I think they did a great job with this. It's it's probably the best uh, mobile application I have seen for judo uh, in my life. All right, so I'm going to wrap things up here. Um, I think I've covered what I want to cover. I know I said I was going to bring somebody on. Uh, in my last episode, but it's I'm going to shoot for my next episode. I swear, I know you're listening. I promise you, I, I'm going to schedule a time for you to come on the podcast. I promise. That person knows who I'm talking about. And I don't want to give it away because if I do and that person's not on the next episode for whatever reason, then I'm going to look like a fool. And I don't want to do that because I already do that most of the days anyway. All right, enough of that. So I'm going to end it here. I hope you all have a good day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Well, I normally say train hard right around here, but I guess not too many people are training. Um, So stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. All right, I'm not waiting 15 minutes. I'm going to get this party started right now. But before I do that, I want to take a moment to kind of explain how it is that I watch, seemingly watch all of these these television shows. Because I'm I'm not a type of person that sits there and watches a ton of TV. It, well, I do and I don't. 
I tend to find times, whether it's early in the morning or very late at night, to watch some of these shows. So it's not like I sit down at 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I'm binge-watching television for four hours. Usually, it's it's right around the time that I'm about to head to sleep, and you know, I, I may watch a single show, or I may watch... Uh, you know, maybe two episodes of a show late at night. We're talking about nine thirty, ten o'clock onwards, and then, and then I also may watch something, you know, early in the morning. Because some days I wake up at five, five thirty, and I and I, I may watch a show while I'm having my coffee and just just kind of getting my day going. It's kind of like how, it's like how I it's, I like to start my days off kind of like that. And then every once in a while, if we're talking about shows where I don't need to actually watch. You know, because it's you know more of a drama and not a lot of action. Sometimes I just plug in my phone in my car and and turn it face down, but just listen to the program because I I find the dialogue interesting and whatnot. You know, for example, I don't need to actually watch House of Cards to appreciate, um, you know, all of the wonderful dialogue that was in that show. So with that being said, I want to start off talking about a show that I started. And then I basically stopped right away. Hunters on Amazon. What a disappointment for me. And it was the show was interesting to interesting enough to me, but I have certain rules when it comes to television shows, and you you can't you can't fool me with this kind of stuff. So <laughs> this is this is almost embarrassing, but I'm gonna put it out there. In the beginning of television shows, you know how they give the ratings of the show, like if it's, T- if it's TV, MA, you know, so I'm sitting there at the first episode of Hunters, you know, and the black screen comes up telling you that it's T- TV, MA and telling you why it's TV, MA. So I see, you know, typical, you know, violence, adult language. But then when I see nudity, I, I, I always joke around with my wife. I say, hey, hey, how about that? So I end up watching the show. It's kind of interesting and stuff. It's it's actually pretty cool. The, the premise of it's pretty cool. And I guess it's based on a true story. However, there's a scene toward the end of the end of the uh, show where this old lady is in the bathroom and and she she's looking like she's about to take a shower. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, 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 please stop. No, don't do it. Sure enough, she disrobes. No! And, and the nudity that was promised to me at the beginning of the episode ended up being this old, overweight woman who ends up getting killed in the shower. I just... Uh, <laughs> I can't go there. I can't do it. So after about uh, five minutes worth of dry heaving and the show ending, um, the next night we decided to watch a... Uh, the, the, the second episode of Hunter. So then, you know, again, the TVMA thing it says language you know violence nudity and strong sexual content so I'm thinking to myself all right finally this is not bad I, actually you know I'm not big on sex in television shows I think it's a filler I think it's a waste of time I actually don't like it because honestly in in reality 30 30 to 60 seconds worth of screen time that's a lot of time. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of plot lines that can be advanced and such. And when you waste that with, uh, you know, sex scenes or, or lovemaking scenes or whatever the case may be, it's, it's a waste of time. I used to hate when Game of Thrones used to have sex scenes because very rarely did it advance the plot. The only, the only one that it advanced the plot or it made sense was the 
really the very first episode at the end of uh, season one, episode one with uh, Jamie Lannister and Cersei Lannister. That made sense. But but most of the other scenes, it was just filler. It was a waste of time. And then, you know, when the episode is like, you know, 49, 50 minutes and they're wasting, you know, a minute or two on on scenes like that, it's a it's a complete waste. I hated that stuff. But, you know, with Hunters, I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, I I always joke around saying, hey, strong sexual content. Can't wait for that. But so then we get to the scene. It's two dudes. And look, I'm all for LGBTQ rights. Totally. One hundred percent. I just don't want to see it any more than I want to see you taking a dump. Honestly, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see a young dude slamming his wang into an old dude's backside. I don't want to see it. I don't need to see it. I could live my whole life without seeing that ever again. And same goes for men and women in these shows. I can go my whole life without seeing another sex scene in a television show. Because if I really want to see that, there's plenty of online sites for me to do that. So Hunters is off my list. You 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 want to jerk me around once and, and trick me with an old fat woman, you know, getting naked in a shower. Okay, you know... Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So I'm done with the show. Can't watch it anymore. Come on, get out of here! So there's another show that I've been watching that um, I'm embarrassed to say that I watch this stuff, but I can't help it. There's this show called 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> My God, I can't believe I'm saying this. I watch it. There's this new one, 90 Day Fiance, before the 90 days. Like, my wife loves this show. And this is the first season that I've just that I've I'm I'm all in on this one. Unlike all the other seasons, I kind of, you know, it's when she's watching 90 Day Fiance. That's when I tell her, hey, I'm going to be upstairs recording an episode. You 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 do you down here. But this one, I don't know the the freak show factor on this is is at a level that um, I've not seen before. And and uh I'm hooked. I, I'm watching this show. It's 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 like a, a like a car accident on the side of the road where nobody's dead, but you still got to see what the heck happened. It's exactly what this show is for me. I I'm I'm not embarrassed to say it. I am watching 90 Day Fiance before the 90 days. I'm proud of it. You know what? I'm not embarrassed. I'm proud of it. Not really. I'm not really proud of it, but I am watching it, especially because of the uh, the short guy with no neck. I mean, that's kind of interesting to me. I don't know why. <laughs> Gosh. All right, what else? Oh, yeah. So I'm in, I am watching, I haven't finished this movie, but I've started watching this movie about a week ago. It's called The Velocipaster. It's about a pastor that turns into a velociraptor and like protects the innocent and some stuff like that. So I, I've watched <laughs> about 30 minutes of it it's it's one of the cheesiest things that i've ever seen but um velocipaster i love the title i had to watch it and the acting is horrible the the special effects is it's like really bad but uh i can't help it it's it's cheese it's horror it's it's always i guess it's supposed to be horror but it's cheesy horror all right let's see what else oh you know I've talked about the coronavirus at the beginning of this episode. So so the after party is typically the last segment that I do before I wrap things up and then, you know, schedule this for a release. My company is going 100% remote. 
And I want to talk about this for a second. Um, this is something that I believe companies should be should have done a decade ago at least. There is no reason why so many people have to trudge into an office to do a job that they can do remotely. And I think, you know, when it comes to infrastructure and 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 traffic and roads and and um, really pollution, you know, you want to call it greenhouse gases or or uh, or global warming. Imagine how much better this this world would be. In, in terms of those topics, and I'm not I'm not making this political. I'm telling you, I'm not. But just the strain and stresses of our of our infrastructure would be greatly reduced if if companies, especially IT companies, would would just get rid of this 20th century mindset when it comes to work the workplace and allow people to work from home most of the time. I mean, goodness gracious, it, like for myself. There is nothing that I can't do from home when it comes to my job. Now, I'm not saying that we should just be 100% remote and never interact with each other. But how good would it be if the majority of people who, you know, work in call centers or do IT or whatever, you know, obviously not everybody can work from home and do that job. And maybe not everybody's as productive as they are at home, but I think companies should be given incentives to allow their associates to work from home without any repercussions from upper management. I know a, a few years ago, um, the CEO of Yahoo ended up making people who would normally work from home come into the office. And I just think that's just a backwards mentality. I, you know, there is value to having face-to-face interactions. Like I would never, you know, if my boss is in town, I I wouldn't work from home. I would be in the office. If we had a a a uh, a meeting that we needed to discuss some kind of significant application change or something, that should be done face-to-face. Interviews should be done face-to-face. But really, most of my day, there's a lot of routine involved with it, and I don't need to be in the office for that. You know, in one less car on the road, if 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 there were 50,000 people or, or, you know, especially in my area, if there was 100,000 less cars on the roads every morning because most people are, are working remotely, that would be a really good thing, especially in this area. And that way, all the people, you know, like like teachers and, and, and police officers and, 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 you know, construction workers, plumbers, your air conditioner guys, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they don't have to deal with the BS commute and getting stuck in long, you know, traffic jams because everybody else is 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 going into the office or coming home uh, from the office. So I so because of the coronavirus, my company is looking to go remote for the time being for all of the associates because I was busy uh, a few days ago constructing laptops for them. And that that's how it should be. So anyway. That's going to be it for me. Talk to you all later.